Welcome to the LifeHouse Church Podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Spirit of God, you are here and you are moving, speaking, challenging, comforting, convicting, informing me to be like Jesus. Today, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to feel, and our spirits to discern what you are saying to us. Let us be not just hearers of your word, but doers of the word. And everyone said, give someone a high five and you can have a seat. Now we are continuing our series today, Jesus and, and we are in a series within a series. So the series is Jesus and, we've been doing that for months now. And I don't see us stopping because there's a lot of things Jesus had to say about a lot. And just really felt like we need, to, we need to dive in to see what Jesus has to say about certain things. But we're in a, a series within a series, and the series today is called Jesus and Controversy. Jesus and Controversy, where we're going to look at some things that are controversial in our culture that Jesus spoke to. That I think sometimes churches can have a hard time speaking on because it might not be politically correct. It just might not be in the normal flow of what churches speak on. And so we have chosen in this series to speak on some topics that might, we might not normally uh, speak on during our Sunday services. And uh, I just want to say, no matter what today is about, if it's your first time, you should be thankful that you didn't come last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday, we talked about Jesus in hell. So I told all the first-time guests last week, you picked a doozy. You picked a doozy to come to for your first Sunday. And, and so Today, though, we're going to dive into something really honestly that isn't normally talked about in church unless there is a national tragedy, and that is Jesus and racism. And, you know, I, and I know when people hear the word racism, right, and, and I just kind of want to just, you know, maybe call out some of the, what do you call that in the room? Uh, the elephant. <laughs> I was... I, I was about to say hippopotamus isn't real. Like, I, don't, I don't know what I was about to say. I was about to say hip, hippopotamus. Uh, elephants in the room, because I think even when some of you hear that word, you're like, oh, here we go. Pastor John's become woke, right? Or, or, or you know, like, is a word made up. You know, it's, it's, it's like, in, in, but, you know, some of you are passionate about, you know, about social justice, about equality. And, and so I know even when we bring that up, there could be multiple layers and multiple differences in this room about that and kind of even just, just the kind of general feel around that word. And I just want to, to let you know in the body of Christ, we can have some secondary differences and that's okay. But it needs to be talked about, right? So I just wanna share with you why we're talking about this Today, because honestly, like, you know, most of the time churches only talk about this when there is a George Floyd in incident, right? It's kind of like, okay, something, something tragic happened, national happened, the church needs to kind of scurry and talk about it and develop its stance and things like, like that. And I just kind of felt the Holy Spirit say, John, this is not a one moment stance you take. This is a part of the gospel. This is a part of the gospel, is, 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 is that racism is not a political th thing. It is not a cultural thing. It, at the end of the day, it is, it is ultimately a kingdom thing. It's, it's a sin issue. And really politics and kind of, you know, culture has kind of taken it, but, but, but really at the end of the day, it's a sin issue. And so since it's a sin issue, since it is capable of being a sin in the heart of man to prejudge someone else based on outward characteristics and want to dominate them and then want to see that domination happen, not just personally, but also in systems. It, it can happen, y'all. It's a sin issue. And so since it's a sin issue, we, we want to, and as followers of Jesus, we repent and turn from sin. That is what we do. We say, God, we want to not do what the culture tells us. We want to do what the kingdom, that's what Jesus came to do, to build a kingdom. And so we are striving to be kingdom people, and racism is incompatible with the kingdom of God. 
So I just want to tell you why we're talking about it today. Three things. Number one, do we got a slide operator? Okay. All right. First, why, why are we talking about racism? Number one, and, and the first point is what I said. Racism is incompatible with the kingdom of God. It's incompatible with the kingdom of God. Secondly, as followers of Jesus, we are called to bring heaven to earth, y'all. Let me read, you, read for you Revelation 7, because really what we're called to do is we're called to reverse engineer. So what, this, so what is heaven going to look like? And then how can we reverse engineer our current earth to be as much heaven as possible? Okay, so this is what it says, Revelation 7, 9, 10. It's, it says, and, and this is John sharing about what he saw after, um, you know, kind of like heaven, right? Kind of kind of like what it, what it was like around the throne of God. He says, after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language. Standing in front of the throne and before the lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the lamb. But do you see nations, tribes, and tongues that heaven is going to, and what I love about our church is heaven's going to look a lot like our church. I mean, look around. The beautiful diversity we have here. And, and, and so I'm, I'm like, if, if that's going to be heaven, I want to try to have as much of that right here, right now. Worshiping together around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Thirdly. Okay, that, that, is, that is not thirdly. Um, okay, I guess there wasn't a third there. So um, I'm not sure what the third was. Let me, let, me, let me see if I got it in my notes here. We'll talk uh, about this later so I can get these right. Oh, thirdly, Jesus talked about it. Uh, of course, like why do we want to talk about it today? Because Jesus talked about it. Jesus didn't just talk about it. Jesus lived it. He talked about it and he lived it. And so what I wanna encourage us to do today is we're gonna have a conversation and we are going to talk. And I've actually invited my good friend, Pastor Telvin Howe from Emmaus Church in Hampton, Virginia. Telvin, do you wanna go ahead and come on up, brother? He's, he's gonna come and you're gonna actually be able to, to hear God's word today um, in the form of a conversation. And I've known Telvin for how many years, brother? <laughs> Bruh, like lots of years. We've been through some good times together and we've been through some bad, some really bad times. 20, more than 20 years. More than 20 years, right? Like, and so we have lived some life together and I just really appreciate his voice and his heart. He has really been a teacher to me uh, when it kind of comes to this topic of racism. And I just was like, man, like I, I think it's so, so important that, that we have his voice and have his heart here. Um, you know, you actually got to, go to in Minneapolis, George, George Floyd's, where the incident happened. Your church is really involved in the community of trying to say, say hey, how can we come together as, as churches to see the needle move forward? And so I just really felt like it was important to have him here. So one more time, can we just welcome, welcome him? And so we want to talk about it today because Jesus talked about it. Telvin, though, man, I'd be interested to kind of hear like, you know, just, just kind of a little bit about you know, why this is something that is kind of on, on your heart and, you know, you know, kind of, kind of just, just like ultimately like why you think it's such a big part of, of the kingdom of, you know, like of the kingdom of God. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally just want to first say thank you for uh, having me and talking about this issue because there's lots of churches that shy away from talking ab about this issue. Um, you know, I think a lot of churches have become comfortable with having a, a surface diversity mm. um, and not really having a, uni a unity. Um, mm. And so I think, you know, we become comfortable with just having everybody in the same room. And if we have it, it's okay. And unfortunately, I've been part of spaces and I've been part of places that are just okay with just having the appearance. But then when you really start to get down to it, there's really no depth to it. And so, um, so this is something very near and dear to my heart. I've always... Uh, been, you know, my father was military growing up, so we lived all around, lived in England, lived overseas, and many times I was the chocolate chip in the cookie. 
Um, and, so, <laughs> and so, I mean, just to, to put it to put it that way, I was the chocolate chip and the cookie. And so I understand what it's, it's like. And so growing up in spaces where I was pretty much sometimes the only chocolate chip, and then, you know, going to another spectrum where then going to school and going to HBCU, Hampton University, shout out HU, Pyre Pride. So I, I've been in all No one type. said nothing, Kelvin. So I don't think we have any hand. I know, you, I, I know. You I got no that. shout. You got I, no, I, woo. I, I, you got I, nothing, I, I bro. I that. I, I, I really, I, I, you know. You might be the only one here. You know what? I'm, I'm going to be like Dion said. I keep receipts. Yeah. No, I'm, just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just playing. I'm just Keeping playing. them receipts. <laughs> but, but so, and even being in part of ministry, when I first came into the Assemblies of God, um, there was a lot of people that were against me coming into the Assemblies of God because it was known as a denomination that wasn't favorable to African-American ministers. And so having served and been through some of the changes, even in the assembly of God at the time. So this is something, again, that's really just near and dear. And I'll just share one thing that even just put this on my radar even more. I remember a couple years ago going down to Georgia uh, to a family reunion, and I had my boys with me. And so I remember, you know, my boys have always kind of been, and churches that have been diverse and things. But I remember we went to go visit the cemetery where my grandparents were buried. And there was one side of the cemetery that was just all tattered and just all beat up. And the other side was just beautiful. And there was this nice new fence that ran down the middle of the, of the thing. And so my boys were like, well, dad, why is there a fence there? And why is that side nice and this side not? And we had to explain, and my father explained to my sons that that was because that was the white side of the cemetery, and this was the black side. Now, we're talking about, this was like in 2018, 2017. We're talking about like there, and, and a brand new fence had been erected. So tell me if this is an issue that still needs, is, you know, needs to be dealt with. Yeah, and, and because I think sometimes too, Telvin, and we were talking about this the other day, like we can sometimes think, you know, okay, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., he, he did his thing. Praise, praise God for that. Um, but we can think that that was like a 200 years ago. That, that was like one generation. We talk about like one generation, like my dad was like 20 years old. So we're not talking about no, we're something t- we're, that's like 200 years ago. Like we're, we're talking about, about like 60, 60, yeah. a little over 60 years ago. And, 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 and just how, you know, we're grateful for the strides that have been made. But at the same time, I think we could sometimes get numb just because we see a few black people being successful that we give it, oh, okay, okay, great. You know, everything, everything's great and changed now. Yeah. When it's like, I, I, I think sometimes we maybe have, have to, to, to be like, well, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's kind of get some context here. Yeah. And, and you're right. When we say context, I think first having this conversation, we have to define the terms. Because I think we've done a horrible job at letting politics define things. Jesus. And so here's the natural tendency what happens is that all of us have, we, we, we all kind of have our little biases built in. We have our corners that we run to. So in a situation where, say, in a room like this, if a tense subject comes up, we run, typically we'll run to our corner, we'll run to our, 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 our political corner, or we'll run to our, our racial, ethnic corner. We'll run to either our men or gender corner. And so we'll run to our corners, and that's where we look from. But as followers of Christ, we are called to look at it from a kingdom-centric view. So we don't have a corner. Come on. You know, uh, we have a kingdom-centered thing. And so we have to begin to define terminology because we've allowed politics. Mm. And even with that, not only have we allowed politics to define the thing, We've also, the church has relegated handling, we say it's a sin issue. You said very great. It's a sin issue. We all agree that a sin issue is an issue of the heart. Laws don't change hearts. Come on. God changes hearts. But what has happened is that as the church, we've kind of excused our role and responsibility at helping, and we've relegated that to a political party or a political system knowing that they cannot change a heart, and they're not even designed. That is not the purpose of what they're Mm -hmm. designed to do, that God's kingdom and this, what we just read in Revelation, that's designed to be brought in by who? It's the followers of Christ. It's the church. And so I think we have to begin to look at it from a kingdom-centric view. But when we talk about terms, I think we need to talk about things like when we say racism. When you say racism, 
the room gets equally, it gets divided, where as white people, it's viewed as, oh, man, those big extreme things. I mean, racism, oh, it's the, you, the Ku Klux Klan and all these things, and you don't have these things anymore. When an African-American, when a black person talks about racism, anything that is seen that is uh, discriminatory against us. Matter of fact, I like to say this, it's always having to ask the second question. Um, and what I mean by that is this, as a white person, you don't have to, if something happens, you don't have to ask in your mind, is it because I'm white? But as a black person, we've been conditioned in this country a lot of times is that if something happens, the first question we, we, ha we ask ourselves that second question, could it be because of my skin color? If I get bad service from a, from a white person, is it because of my skin service? I mean, my skin color. If I didn't, you know, if, if I get pulled over, is it because of my skin color? If I didn't get, you know, uh, access to this, is it because of my skin color? And so it's always asking the second question. So when we talk racism, it isn't just so much er the big items, but it's, it's the everyday things living in that may happen that we have to ask ourselves the second question. And so I think that's defining that. And I think it's helpful for each side to know that that's where we're coming from. And then also this thing of social justice. And I don't mean, I'll just say right, that. Right, yeah. But in this thing of social justice, when we, social justice has been so co-opted by, you know, I'll even just say far right, even heavy conservatives, that you talk about the social justice uh, uh, gospel. You talk about throwing in everything. But when most people, when you, black people, when you talk about social justice, it's really talking about justice for minorities when it comes to being equal, having equal rights. It's not talking about all the other things, the gender and, and the LGBT, all those things that get thrown into it. And so the average everyday person, when you think about social justice, so when we're talking about, hey, social justice, yeah, I'm for social justice. Um, that's what we're for. But a lot of people will think, oh, I'm for social justice. And they think that you have everything else that's included in there. And so I think it's helpful that we really define terms and even using terms as woke and all these things. All these things have been just so just used and weaponized. I mean, I hear things. I laugh every time I watch the news and I hear somebody saying, we got to stop teaching CRT in school. Half the people that use don't even know what CRT is and know what it's really used for and knowing that there's no CRT taught in school. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some places that will kind of have their own version of it, but I mean, just because you talk to kids about slavery doesn't mean it's CRT. Um, right. And so, and I think we have to understand those things and, and not let society um, drive the bus when it comes to this topic. Yeah, and then too, you know, like I, you know, kind of of just like sharing my story, some right is is just like you know I was really blessed to grow up in a diverse church, actually Bethel Temple. Now, and I know Bethel Temple has had had its had its stuff, but back in the mid '80s, late <laughs> '80s, I don't know why y'all laughing. There's a lot of Bethel people. I know here. why, why y'all laughing. A lot of Bethel, <laughs> a lot of Bethel people here. No, but um. No, like, like it was one of the first churches in this, in this area that intentionally said, Pastor David Livingston, he said, we are not, we are going to be a diverse church. And so thankfully, that was my experience grow, growing up is like in, 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 in you know, and, and so like I, you know, I said things like, and, and let me just kind of just tell you things that I said and that I set up to, to a certain point as a white person. Like I would say, I don't, I don't see color. Right. Like and, and I said it with the best of hearts because like really what I was saying was is 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 like just because like I don't look down on you or I don't whatever. you And I mean, honestly, just just honestly growing up, I didn't have any white friends because I liked rap and basketball. So so like I'm, I mean, honestly, like it, and, and, and but but what is and so a lot like I had a very diverse friend group, main, main, mainly black. But I would say say things like I don't see color. Like, and, and I was kind of taught in a school where it, it, it was like, okay, Martin Luther King Jr. did his, did his thing. And, and so it, it was like, in my white world, it was soft. Like, it was like, we're good. Moved on. It's in the past. We're, we're good, right? And, 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 it, and it was in kind of until the past few years that I realized that's not actually very helpful to say, mm -hmm. right? Is, is like, I don't see color or 
plus also too, it it was like though I had black friends, though I had black people around me, I had never asked them about their experience. I had just assumed their experience. And it was really helpful for me to, especially when the George Floyd incident and the Charlottesville incident happened, I think it was back in 2007 and 17, and a lot of this stuff started to, to that had always been there, that I kind of just like risen, risen up. It, it was like I, I had, like I had to get outside of my bubble of what I always thought and what I, and, and just say, what, how, what has your experience been like, right? Because I, you know, I, I, I just, I just think many, many times we can see things on, on the surface. And because we have a viewpoint, a bubble, like we, you know, we, we don't look at it and say, well, this is my experience, but what has your experience been? And that was really helpful for me to, to start, to start talking to some of my black friends and starting to hear some of their experiences and realizing, wow, like I have had this perception all is well, but that was just my perception. But hearing where they're coming, coming from, there were things that I had no idea of. But I think we have to be careful sometimes of things we say that sound like we're in unity and sound like we're, we're in diversity. And I think like one of those things is like, I don't see color. And then I think some, sometimes we can want to project onto people, like basically tell them what their experience has been. Right? Yeah. So we can say things like, well, I think you should, or, or I, I think what you, you know what I'm saying? And, and instead of being empathetic, instead of listening, instead of hearing like we can some sometimes want to project our experience onto onto people, right? And and I mean, so so like what what have you know? What are some things that 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 you would say like to to kind of like not just know the the, the this is still going on, but but to you know to maybe even create a safe space and possibly even speak to some of our white brothers and sisters, um, you, you know, things that maybe we can do to help learn about someone else's experience yeah that's a that's a good question thank you for asking that i think the big thing you have to understand is this it's uncomfortable this is an uncomfortable conversation and to be honest with you in order to really achieve and move to unity because the goal isn't diversity the goal is unity yeah um that that is the goal the goal is unity in order to move to that though we have to understand, we have to be uncomfortable. And it means that all of us are going to be uncomfortable because it's going to mean that sometimes it's going to be addressing things that's even deep within our heart. I mean, let's, let's face it. If you're comfortable in your faith, then you're really not living your faith right because the gospel makes us uncomfortable. Yes. And, and so, and when it comes to this, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. But it also means this for my, my white brothers and sisters. It means is, is number one, you have to erase your assumptions because I think we come into things with assumptions. Like number one, we assume, you know, a lot of my white brothers and sisters assume that all black people are alike. We're not monolithic. <laughs> Just like there's diversity in, in different white people. Guess what? Black people, we have diversity within ourselves too. So not all black people are alike. And so we have to understand that, um, that, that it's not. But I think also too, we have to understand that when we use certain terms, they're, they're not like you'll hear the term white privilege thrown out. Um, and I'll just tell you this, uh, you know, I'm, I, privilege is something we all kind of have. We're, we all have a little bit of privilege. And so privilege in itself isn't wrong. So when I use the term white privilege, I'm not saying that in, in, a, in a form of that privilege. Uh, we should be sorry for being white. Yeah, that you should be, be right. sorry for being white. Because <laughs> guess what? I'm privileged. Both of my parents have been married now going on almost uh, 50 years. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and that is a privilege in today's society. Yes. That is privilege to come from a two-parent home, to be in a middle-class African-American home. That is a privilege. And so I'm not ashamed of that. I, I don't, that, that's something that was afforded me. So what it means by white privilege is not saying, okay, you know, you need to repent for being white. But what it is saying is this, is that you have been afforded some privileges is according to your skin color. Now, what makes privilege wrong is how you use that privilege. 
Um, you know, do you abuse, can you use your privilege to be a voice for someone else? Can you use your privilege to open doors for someone else? Can you use that privilege to really help learn and understand? And so I think for my white brothers and sisters, I think the more that you begin to take the time and really, number one, get rid of your assumptions. Um, I think number two is really uh, understand terms and definitions and not let, because here's the thing, we, we tend to let Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, Truth.com, we let all these things disciple us and Come inform on. us. Instead of really saying, what does scripture say and what is the real thing behind that? Because unfortunately, we live in a country, the loudest voice gets heard. And yeah. so all these places, they scream loud. And, and here, the desire is, you know, to, to keep separated. And I, and, and I know that I'm, I may seem jumbled, but trust me, I'm going somewhere with it. But I think going back to scripture, uh, let, let's anchor it there, is we have to understand why is this so much of an issue and why is there so much tension that comes from this? I want you to think about something. Go back to the Garden of Eden. And the, the, the whole goal when God created man, he said to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and Jesus said the second is love your neighbor as yourself. What was the devil's first thing that he did that he wanted to do? Number one, he wanted to divide us from God. But then what was the second thing? Divide us from one another. Yes. And so division is his calling card. Yes. And the reason why he keeps using it is because it works. And we don't understand that principle because we don't really understand the gospel and we don't understand scripture to know that the enemy's whole desire and goal is to still kill and destroy. And his whole desire is to divide us from each other and divide us from God. And he knows he's got us. If he could keep us minoring on all these, you know, things that are not, if he keeps us majoring on the minor things and not really looking at, hey, what does God want from us? That better be Jesus calling me. Oh, okay. I thought I thought I, you got, I thought that, that was a, good. Bro. I'm sorry. That I thought that was something telling me my alarm. time's up. Uh, my time's Somebody's up. Somebody's alarm. You know. Um, you need to turn the stove off. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, you can keep on. I'm sorry. The crock pot's gonna be okay. Yeah. Uh, so so I think we have to understand that as we go through Scripture and understand that. And, and as we go through, now, of course, race and racism in the Bible isn't quite, it's a little bit different than what we see today, but we still see the shades and we still see the things of there uh, as we go through Scripture, even going through it with Moses. I'll take Moses, uh, for instance, and I always find this story so funny, is that, you know, Miriam and, and Aaron were kind of got upset at Moses because of the wife he chose. He had a dark-skinned wife. And the interesting part of about it is that's always a joke. That's always I find how God has a sense of humor is he's like, okay, you have an issue with her skin color. So, Miriam, I'm going to strike you with leprosy, which is a condition of the skin, and turn her skin lighter. God has a real a, a sense of humor about that, you know. But then if you keep even going through scripture, and I'll, and I'll even stop it even when we go to the book of Acts and think about it. When the Holy Spirit fell... And you read the this scripture of when, when the Holy Spirit came, the day of Pentecost, and it describes everybody who was there. There were Jews from almost every part of the world that was known then. But if you look at the countries that were in there, they were African countries that were in there. Yeah. And so we have... We look at the Holy Spirit as a time of, hey, let's get in the church and get revival and let's roll around and do all those things. But really the Holy Spirit is the great unifier that brings us together, that unites us and makes us into the men and women that God's called us to be. And that why, and, and yes. think about it, even before then, before the Holy do Spirit it filled, it said, hey, I've called you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the, to the ends of the earth. And so, I mean, you look at these things, and then even right after that, the church still didn't get it right because the first issue in the church was an issue of discrimination. Mm. The Hebraic Jews, the, uh, the, they, they, the, the Greek Jews didn't feel like they were getting the same treatment, the widows, as the others. There was a racial, there was a, a ethnic divide in there. And so what happened? The church had to deal with it. And so this is something that we, we see all throughout Scripture, but the beauty of it is mm. I think we think that, 
again, that's where knowing scripture is, is really important in understanding context because we read these scriptures and we think, oh man, um, there, there's not this stuff going on. But I mean, shoot, you look at Peter and Paul. Why did they get into it? I mean, you know, Peter ate a rib. You know, he was eating ribs and chilling, you know, with his, with his Greek and his, you know, with, with, with another ethnic group. But as soon as his brothers, his Jewish brothers came along, he threw the sausage patty to the side and like, I don't know you, <laughs> you know. And I mean, but it was still that ethnic tension there. And, and a lot of these places that Paul wrote to in Ephesus and Corinth and all these things, these were very diverse mm. areas. These weren't just monolithic areas. These were very diverse places that had very diverse, that had lots of ethnic diversity, that had lots of socioeconomic diversity. And so when he's making these statements, Paul is, is in the context of talking about Come diversity. On. And so scripture, there's a lot that scripture says about it, which is the beauty of when you get to Revelation, and it says, I saw every tribe, tongue, and nation represented there. And that's the beauty of it. So let me ask you this, you know, how did Jesus, or how do you see Jesus specifically addressing this, right? Jesus never used the word racism, right? Even Mm. the Bible doesn't, you know, the Bible doesn't use the word racism, but just because the word isn't there doesn't mean the concept isn't, isn't there. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the but the concept of the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, so how do you see Jesus specifically addressing, not just with his words, but maybe with his actions, mm-hmm. you know, kind of this idea of racism, right? Be, because, like, I, you know, um, Jesus was God, right? Yeah. Jesus was God. So he was God in the form. So if you, and that's what I'll say, if you ever want to begin in your faith or know, like, start, start with Jesus, Jesus is perfect theology, right? So when you see Jesus speaking and, and teaching and you see Jesus acting, it is watching God himself. And so I think it's important that we see how Jesus, like, spoke out against discrimination and spoke out against people, you know, against people groups having these kind of, like, you know, um, what you call it, like, layers to them, right? Kind, mm-hmm. You know, kind of even one of the reasons why he went in with a whip, he made a whip, <laughs> Made a whip, didn't have one. He made one and went into the temple and drove them out because they had created a system of oppression through religion. They had actually created a system to take advantage of those who were not in leadership, where they were selling sacrifices. So they had created a system to, to oppress and take advantage of. And Jesus went in and was like, this ain't the reason why my church exists. My church is going to be called a house of prayer, right? But, 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 but like, how do you see, like, Jesus specifically uh, addressing this? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And that's a, that's a lot. And I want to say, you're not going to have all the depth of stuff in just one conversation. I mean, this is such a, a, right. a wide and deep conversation. But when I look at the life of Jesus, I see how Jesus lived his life. Jesus, you know, I think when we think about and understanding that when he ministered a lot in Galilee, there was, there was diversity in Galilee. It was a small town and region, but there were lots of Gentiles in that area too that Jesus ministered to. And we see instances where Jesus healed. You know, he went through Samaria. He talked to the woman at the well. There was Real quick, can, can you speak briefly to that, that division between the Jews and the Gentiles, how deep that ran? Because I think we can hear that and be like, oh, you know, but it was like, it was deep. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, a big comparison. And, and, and also, too, I want to backtrack, too, and, and I understand. In the context, a lot of times we talk about black and white. But guess what? There are other minorities, Hispanic, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Asian, um, no American. Um, my wife's Hispanic. So I'm, you know, and so I'm familiar with a lot of the discrimination and a lot of the things and the assumptions and perceptions that even the Hispanics. I mean, when we talk about immigration and the border things there, a lot of that is directed at the Hispanics and a lot of the hate rhetoric that comes with there. And so that's a whole different conversation. So I want to just preface that because I know sometimes we have people that shut down um, that are from other minorities, but we also understand that, hey, there are other minorities that are discriminated against in this country as well. Um, But the Jews and Gentiles, that was a big, wide divide. I mean, um, they they hate each other. Matter of fact, the Jewish men would, would pray a prayer and at the end of their prayer, they would thank God that they weren't a Gentile. I mean, they would thank or, God. Or a woman. Oh, yeah, or a woman. <laughs> thank the Lord that I'm not a woman and I'm not a Gentile. I Jesus. mean, so think about the way that that is. And so 
when we understand that that, I mean, that's probably the closest thing we could talk about with racial, with black and white. And so when Jesus told these stories um, and he made the Gentiles, I, I love the book of Luke. If you really want to see how Jesus really rocked the boat when it came to this issue, the book of Luke is one of my favorites because Jesus, his interaction with Gentiles and women and all those things, it, it makes the, the religious Pharisees just upset. Even the story of the Good Samaritan, that mm. just ruffled tons of feathers Tell because guess it. what? The Gentile was the hero. The good Samaritan. The, the good, yeah. I mean, yeah. just that, but just that by itself, I mean, that was the hero. So when you look at these and think, and even when you begin to learn that the person that carried the cross of Jesus, Simon of Cyrene, was an African. Yeah. An African man carried the cross of Jesus when no one else, one or none of his other followers grabbed the cross. Simon Cyrene was picked out. And then we understand that later on, his two sons become leaders in the church. Wow. And so I, I think when we, we, we look at that and understand that divide, so when Jesus did things, I mean, it, it, when he told the parable of the Good Samaritan and those things, it totally rocked the boat that Jesus would do that. But also, I think Jesus also modeled it in the way that he even picked his disciples. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is, how we could have differences of opinion but be united around on. one thing. Think about it for a second. Matthew was a tax collector who sold out his own people. I mean, if we, if we were black, we would call him an Uncle Tom, basically. He, 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 he sold out his own people, but yet Jesus picked him. Uh, we had Peter, James, and John. They were fishermen. They owned their own small business. They were small business owners. Uh, but then we had Simon the Zealot who was a political terrorist. He was your extremist. Mm. So Jesus had this diversity of, of disciples around him that all had their big differences that were glaring and huge. I mean, today that would be like, you know, you know, him putting together a Trumper with a, a you know, a far Republican with a Democrat and, and having all these, I mean, that's how it would yeah. be having them all together. And yet, they were they were united around Christ. Now, I, the Bible doesn't explicitly kind of tell us how that melding. I, I think there Can you was imagine a, the campfires. I, I think the campfire there was a, conversations. I, I think there was. I remember a, you, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. You ripped me off. Yeah. I mean, you know? having that or, you know. I tried to kill you, Matt. I mean, can you just imagine the campfire conversations, man? Yeah, they're plotting on one another and yeah. everything, you know. And so I think Jesus, the gospel, it models that, that how was really this good. group of people able to come together and yet they took a, they, they took something. Just think about it for a second. That man, Jesus was able to take this diversity of people um, that were really nobodies. And yet, all of a sudden, I mean, preached in a small, obscure area of Galilee. And, I mean, what statistics will say, there's Rodney Stark, who's an who, who's a, a author and a psychologist, sociologist, said that, you know, at that time, around that time, there's probably maybe a thousand or so believers in the Roman Empire. But after the death of Jesus, probably about 80, 43, about 80, 50 or so, over half the Roman Empire were, were, were believers. And it was because of there was something starkly different wow. about believers in the way that they loved one another, the diversity of one another, their sexual ethic. Wow. All of it was different. Wow. And that difference is what drew people in and eventually brought down a whole empire. Come on. Come on. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see what is possible, right? Um, okay, let's, like you said, we can't get really extremely into deep waters here, but I think it's important you, you know this matters to us here. That we, that we don't consider this a cultural thing, a political thing. This is a gospel thing. And, and so I think we want to kind of get practical mm -hmm. a little bit and kind of maybe say like, okay, we hear Jesus's words. We hear the, you know, kind of Jesus's imperative. Um, but how, how can we get practical now and kind of take this and maybe work it into our lives and so we can be those that build more of heaven on earth? Yeah. I think the first thing is, you know, is we have to learn God's heart. Mm. And the reason why I say that is because the church for so long 
has been out of this conversation and really not understanding the heart of God. And don't have time to go in the historical view of it, but the church was really uh, not around when civil rights and all those things. The church was absent from those conversations. And I believe that God has given us a second chance Come to on. really get it right. And when I say that, you know, that the church was uninvolved, I mean, the church a lot of times was complicit. Matter of fact, there's a good friend of mine. She used to pastor the church in uh, downtown Hampton. Uh, it's a, a, a Episcopal church, I believe. It's one of the oldest uh, that's in the country. And I remember one time we were talking, and she had an article in the newspaper a couple years ago, but she had found out, she found the records from her church, and their church owned slaves and was part of the slave trade. Think about that for a moment. And so now you have churches. I mean, matter of fact, going historically, there was a big divide in certain denominations. And I think it was only really the Puritans early on that really took a hard stand against slavery. And so, you know, and so I think it's important that we really understand the gospel and God's heart. Because many times the gospel has been, because we don't have an understanding and know God's heart, we've weaponized God's heart and have kept that going. And so I think as a true understanding is at first, we have got to have an understanding in scripture. What does the Bible say about this? What does, I mean, what does Jesus say about it? Even Paul, I mean, Paul wrote a a good portion of the, the New Testament. What was Paul, even what, how did he address it in the churches that he was a part of? Excuse me. And so I think we've got to, number one, we've got to understand that. But then we've got to take the journey inward, and we've got to understand what are the biases in my own heart? Where are the wrong assumptions that I've made in my own heart? Where have I have things in my own heart that really is sin that I have kind of, I've bit into the lie? For some, it might be you've made politics your God, and so your, your mm-hmm. aspect on race comes from a political party. It comes from a political party. And so I think we have, you got to address those things. And once you've done that, then I think now you owe yourself to begin to learn history and, and, and go through and learn the historical things about what has happened. And, 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 I mean, going back, I mean, starting really from the birth of this country to civil rights to Reconstruction to Jim Crow and all these things and talk to people, uh, which is the next thing, is now, um, now what you got to do is, is now begin to build relationships. Uh, get people around you that are different. If your circle all looks like you, thinks like you, then you've missed the boat. Yeah, that you need to have. And this is what I appreciate about Pastor John, that Pastor John, your pastor, if he doesn't understand or he's wrestling something about race or whatever, he'll just call and ask, you know. And so I think we've got to to do that and stop. And and I'm sorry, I may sound with this, but if you if you are my white brothers and sisters, please stop using people like Vody Bachman and Candace Owens and those people to to quote, quote, say things that you, you, you think that you want to say, because what happens is a lot of times is, is that a lot of those sound bites are pulled out of context. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some things about them. I don't agree, but a lot of times those things are pulled out of context and are weaponized in the same way that the Ku Klux Klan and all those other things were weaponized and how the slave owners would weaponize, uh, that. And so, So I think it's really important, especially for my white brothers and sisters, to really develop that relationship and and really begin to learn and remember to really understand. And and don't take it personal if it's hard at first, Um, because I think the unintended consequence that we see right now because of the church and our white brothers and sisters not really wanting to engage in this uh, conversation is that we've seen a, a lot of the rise of different cults and different so-called religions that are wanting to restore black dignity. 
And so we have like the Hizru, the Hizru, Hebrew, the Hizru. I can't talk this morning. Uh, the Hebrew you sound like Israelites. me, man. Yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the spirit Hebrew, of stuttering just going on over to him. Uh, the Hebrew Israelites, and we have, you know, Islam. We have a lot of these things because what they've done is they said, okay, you know, we see a group of people that are searching for identity, that are searching mm-hmm. for dignity, and if Christianity, so quote quote quote, won't give it to them, we'll give it to them and weaponize them for their own agendas. But what we have to understand is that when we look at the Bible and we learn God's heart, we learn that man, that that man, especially if, if you now, if you're my African brothers and my black brothers and sisters, I want to say this. You need to learn God's heart for it and learn scripture and learn that man, the scripture is full of just dignity for black people. I want you to think about something for a moment. When Jesus was born, when he was escaping from the Roman government, from Herod and all that, where did he go? He went to Egypt. Egypt. Where's Egypt? Africa. In Africa. Why did they go to Africa? Because they knew the Roman Empire wasn't going to mess with Africa. Africa at the point was the it, Africa at one point was the wealthiest, the big in civilization. It was scientific. Matter of fact, think about it for a moment. To test Solomon's wealth. The queen of Sheba, who was from Africa, went up to test his wealth and knowledge. And it says she gave him gifts, but she only took a little portion of what she had. So when we begin to learn things like that and begin to learn that it was an African that carried the cross of Jesus, when we begin to learn that and part of those first deacons that the church ever established, they were Africans that were a part of there. When we begin to learn those things, uh, because what happened is, a lot, and again, it's a lot of historical stuff that I don't want to go into, but a lot of times the Bible has been whitewashed a lot uh, to, be, to, to help during slave times to help hold slaves down. And so a lot yes. of those things were removed. And so a lot of, and, and again, goes in, and just one more thing, I'm sorry. And oh, so you, a lot of you, times when, when, when white people, when, when white people talk about, oh, that liberation theology is bad and all those things, I would say do some homework a little bit because the liberation theology really came from the aspect of when slaves begin to understand and see that God was a God of freedom. Yes. When God was a God who was about freedom, freeing us, freeing people, that people be free, that is where the heart of liberation came. But again, because politics and because people have co-opted things, they turn it into stuff that it isn't. And so we hear these terms and we automatically, oh, yeah, liberate, yeah, this person has a liberation theology and that's bad. No. Begin to learn. I mean, I, I give you some starting points, you know, especially to learn about the church and everything. With Nat Turner, Nat Turner uh, led a big rebellion of slaves, and that really turned the church a lot because what happened is a lot of slave owners before who were sympathetic to really talking about the Bible with their slave with their slave slaves. When Nat Turner rebelled, a lot of them said, no, we got to take this stuff out about, you know, equality, like Philemon and all those stuff. We got to remove that stuff because, see, they're going to rebel and do like this. So we have to control. And so and so I think that's where developing relationships and begin to learn and begin to talk, because, again, this is only 60 or so years just removed from a lot of this, the civil rights stuff. So there's a lot of older, you know, black men and women that if you really want to know, just sit down and ask them, what are their experience? What is it like? I mean, my father, if I look at it, my father was in segregated schools before they integrated. So this is just, that's just, that's, that's a generation away. And so there are lots of things that you can, you, we, could, we could talk about, and, and there's lots of opportunities, but you've got to be willing. We've got to be willing to listen and begin to build those relationships and begin to work through our own, um, our own stuff. Yeah, you know, a couple thoughts. Number one, I remember um, when we went to the Museum of the Bible a few years back, and I think I've told this before, but on the bottom floor, um, they, they, they normally have a kind of like monthly or bi-monthly e- exhibit down there where they kind of change it out. And when I was there, they had 
the exhibit for the slave Bible. And where it was where when British colonies would, or excuse me, when British would go into certain islands and want to colonize it, you know, they would develop slavery, but they would want them to become Christians. So they would actually give them Bibles and take out everything that talked about freedom. Because they didn't want them, they wanted them to follow Jesus, but they didn't want them to be equal. Right? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, when, I'm like, my, my God, they taking the Bible and they editing it. That ain't, that, that ain't good. You know, but at the same time, let's not judge them because we can do the same. Yeah. We can have our, the John Ware edited version of the Bible. Right? And though we, we might not take it out. So I, I think it's important we study our hearts. Right? But also, too, I remember a few years ago, 2018, 2019, going to the Civil, the Civil Rights Museum in Birmingham. And I remember going there, and I, 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 just, I just think for me that was so eye-opening to see, to become acquainted with things like redlining, where the government back, back in the 60s, the 50s, and stuff like that would actually redline and say, if you're black, you can't live here. And, and, and then, like, actually seeing they actually had pictures, real, real pictures, white, um, white water fountain, black water fountain, right? You look at how the wealth is dispersed in our country. I, th- I think black people have 3% of, of wealth. But then when you have con- con- context and you go back and you realize, like, if black people couldn't get loans, if they couldn't live in certain places, if they didn't have handed down generational property and generational wealth, like it's so easy for us to just see things, but not want to go down and be like, what are the contributing variables? And, and that's where I just, I just think for me, even as I think I watched that one documentary called thir- called 13 Netflix, like when you do exactly what he is saying to do to go back and get some history and actually look at things, it's totally different than the Christian high school history class I was taught. Right. And so I just want to say I'm grateful for that because I just, you know, really didn't ever think I really. I'm just grateful because you can have a concept with no context. And if you just have a concept and you don't have context, meaning if you have if you think something about somebody or something, but you don't actually have context of a person, a human being, then what you think and I mean, it can be totally way off. Yeah, and and I want to kind of leave this you know uh, thing you know and that and that is part of the whole learning, and I want to just give you a thought um, because I know when you start talking about redlining and all those things, it gets into very come up for to some it. people <laughs> We're gonna, murky yeah, waters we're gonna because because they um, people have these thoughts about systemic racism and all these things, but let me put it to you like this: How many of you got kids? You got kids. How many of you, your kids are acting up and you tell them to sit down and, and they sit down, they may obey on the outside, but on the inside, they're still standing up and you know it. So if we understand that, think about it for a moment. Laws don't change hearts. So if the heart behind all of this, that the segregation and all this stuff, and it took laws to erase it, to just kind of make it you know, illegal, but yet those laws didn't change the hearts because as we know, what happened when schools went to integrate, what happened? People rebelled. And so now laws changed it, but guess what? The people that were in charge, the hearts were still the same. And so now you talk about, okay, I don't, I can't do this legally, but what I can do is, is since I control the loans, I can still stand up and rebel inside. And that's what happens with systemic racism is legally it's illegal, but in the heart-wise, it's still... But you still have people running the it, systems. It, it, it still, it just, it just jumped into a different part. And so I think, again, that's where building relationship. And Brian Loritis has this great quote. He says, without proximity... There is no empathy. You have to get close to people that you don't know. You have to get close 
number one, not just close to people in relationship, but even get close to, to information, to learning. Hmm. Like when you went to that Bible museum and you saw the slave Bible, you got close and, it, and now it gave, you angry. A, it gave you an empathy. I was ready to flip stuff over in that. Yeah. But I'm like, I'd be in jail. When you go to the Civil Rights Museum, you know, begin to begin to yeah. get close. That's what Jesus did. And, and really, yeah. it's nothing new. It's incarnational, incarnational living. Yes. What did Jesus do? He modeled it. Come on. He left heaven. Come on. Where he had it all. He had it all. Matter of fact, I always tell people, I'm glad I wasn't Jesus because y'all better be glad because the first time a whip hit me, all y'all going to hell. <laughs> oh, y'all, I'm killing all y'all. I'm going home. Get them angels. <laughs> I'm going home. Got them home. angels around here. You know. Mop but, up. But yet Jesus left heaven. Yeah. He put on skin. He became one of us. Come on. He walked in our shoes. He was fully God Come on. and fully man. He took time to know what it was like to be hungry, to be thirsty. He yes. took time to know what it's like to be betrayed, what it's like to stress. He knew what it was like. And because of that, he walked through that. He learned. And that's why this Bible says he's the perfect intercessor because he could identify with us. And that's what Jesus is calling all of us to do with one another that we are to live incarnationally, incarnational living. And that's what it's all about, is to be able to leave out of your comfort, leave out of your privilege, and be able to step into the boat and be able to see it from somebody else's, to be able to understand and at the end of the day, you still may not agree with it, but what we don't know how to do in this country is disagree well. Come on. You can on. disagree. I always tell people this. You don't have to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. Jesus. And so we have to learn to do that. Because so, ultimately, Telvin, we're brothers, man. Mm -hmm. We're brothers. And I remember... And I remember when we were talking at Crane the other day, and I just think we don't remember that. Like the church is called to be brothers and sisters, y'all. Not crazy uncles and distant cousins. <laughs> and it's it's like, I mean, just <laughs> just think about brothers, man. Like brothers and sisters. And I just think if we had a supernatural revelation of that, we would be so much more apt to sit down and listen. We'd be so much more apt to not classify people by secondary things. Like, I know they're Democrat. I know they're Republican. I know they're this, that, and the other thing. But if, like, if this is my brother and my brother's hurting, if our black brothers and sisters are hurting, the last thing I want to do is, I mean, Scripture says, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. I mean, these are our brothers and sisters. But, and, and, and I just, I, it really, that is my prayer for our church. And one of the reasons why I felt like we needed to talk about this is to move the needle towards us as the church, seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ that we are one body, that we are Christ's body, and that, y'all, we can be, even as, as you said, we can share, like, show the world what the, who Jesus is and what Jesus is like, what heaven can actually be, that we don't need agreement to be in unity, like, to be in unity, right? Like, we're all on a journey where we're, we're all figuring things out, but though we might not see eye to eye, we can still walk hand in hand and my prayer for our church because y'all we want to be a diverse church not just in look but at a deeper level where we, we just don't recognize diversity we actually celebrate it it's celebrated you know and so Telvin I really appreciate you being here man any final words for us no I'll just say this you said it correctly at the end the Bible uses familial language. I'm not looking for an ally. I'm looking for a Come brother. 
That's so good. And we have to begin to put the biblical language back into it. I don't want to see another foot washing. <laughs> I want to see I want to see my brother walking with me. Come on. And so you can't change. You may not be able to change the world. Come on. But you could change your world. That's so good. Start where you're at. And as you do that, you'll see change happen. Come on. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.